I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. How can I realize my potential more fully? That's a question I still ask myself, especially when contemplating what's next in my life. In every job I've taken, in every city in which I've lived, I've known that it's time to move on when I've grown as much as I can. Sometimes moving on terrified me, but always it taught me that the true meaning of courage is to be afraid and then, with your knees knocking, to step out anyway. Making a bold move is the only way to advance toward the grandest vision the universe has for you. If you allow it, fear will completely immobilize you. And once it has you in its grip, it will fight to keep you from ever becoming your best self. What I know for sure is this. Whatever you fear most has no power. It is your fear that has the power. The thing itself cannot touch you, but your fear can rob you of your life. Each time you give in to it, you lose strength, while your fear gains it. That's why you must decide that no matter how difficult the path ahead seems, you will push past your anxiety and keep on stepping. A few years ago, I was writing this question in my journal every day. What am I afraid of? Over time, I realized that while I'd often seemed brave on the outside, I'd live much of my inner life in bondage. I was afraid that others wouldn't like me. I was terrified that if I said no to people, they would reject me. Everything I did, thought, felt, said, or even ate was connected to the fear I carried around with me, and I allowed it to block me from ever knowing who I really was. Dr. Phil often says, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Before I could challenge my fear and begin changing what I believed about myself, I had to admit that, yes, I had always been afraid and that my fear was a form of slavery. Author Neil Donald Walsh says, so long as you're still worried about what others think of you, you're owned by them. Only when you require no approval from outside yourself can you own yourself. It's true that when you summon the courage to cast a vote for yourself when you dare to step out, speak up, change yourself, or even simply do something outside of what others call the norm. The results may not always be pleasant. You can expect obstacles. You will fall down. Others may call you nutty. At times, it may feel like the whole world is rising up to tell you who you cannot become and what you cannot do. It can upset people when you exceed the limited expectations they've always had for you. And in moments of weakness, your fear and self-doubt may cause you to falter. You may be so exhausted that you want to quit, but the alternatives are even worse. You might find yourself stuck in a miserable rut for years at a time, or you could spend too many days languishing in regret, always wondering, what would my life have been like if I hadn't cared so much about what people thought? And what if you decided right now that you will stop letting fear block you? What if you learn to live with it, to ride its wave to heights you never knew were possible? You might discover the joy of tuning out what everybody wants for you and finally pay attention to what you want and need and learn that ultimately 
You have nothing to prove to anyone but yourself. That is what it truly means to live without fear and to keep reaching for your best life. The true measure of your courage is not whether you reach your goal, it's whether you decide to get back on your feet no matter how many times you've failed. I know it is not easy, but I also know for sure that having the courage to stand up and pursue your wildest dreams will give you life's richest reward and life's greatest adventure. And what's really wild? Right now, no matter where you are, you are a single choice away from a new beginning. One of my defining moments came in the third grade. The day a book report I turned in earned my teacher's praise and made my classmates grudgingly whisper, she thinks she's so smart. For too many years after that, my biggest fear was that others would see me as arrogant. In some ways, even my weight was my apology to the world, my way of saying, see, I really don't think I'm better than you. I'm not that smart. The last thing I wanted was for my actions to make me appear full of myself. Beginning when we're girls, most of us are taught to deflect praise. We apologize for our accomplishments. We try to level the field with our family and friends by downplaying our brilliance. We settle for the passenger seat when we long to drive. That's why so many of us have been willing to hide our light as adults. Instead of being filled with all the passion and purpose that enable us to offer our best to the world, we empty ourselves in an effort to silence our critics. The truth is that the naysayers in your life can never and will never be fully satisfied. Whether you hide or shine, they'll always feel threatened because they don't believe they are enough. So stop paying attention to them. Just stop paying attention to them. Every time you suppress some part of yourself or allow others to play you small, you are ignoring the owner's manual your creator gave you. What I know for sure is this. You are built not to shrink down to less, but to blossom into more, to be more splendid, to be more extraordinary, to use every moment to fill yourself up. In 1989, I read this passage in Gary Zukav's book, The Seat of the Soul. Every action, thought, and feeling is motivated by an intention, and that intention is a cause that exists as one with an effect. If we participate in the cause, it is not possible for us not to participate in the effect. In this most profound way, we are held responsible for our every action, thought, and feeling, which is to say, for our every intention. It is therefore wise for us to become aware of the many intentions that inform our experience, to sort out which intentions produce which effects, and to choose our intentions according to the effects that we desire to produce. That was one paragraph. 
but it was a life-changing paragraph for me. I'd recognized for a long time that I was responsible for my life, that every choice produced a consequence, but often the consequences seemed so out of line with my expectations. That's because I was expecting one thing but intending another. My intention of always trying to please other people, for example, produced an unwanted consequence. I often felt taken advantage of and used, and people came to expect more and more and more from me. But the principle of intention helped me realize that other people weren't the problem. I was. I decided to do only those things that came from the truth of who I am and doing only that which pleased me to do for others. What I know for sure is that whatever your situation is right now, you have played a major role in creating it. With every experience, you build your life, thought by thought, choice by choice. And beneath each of those thoughts and choices lies your deepest intention. That's why, before I make any decision, I ask myself this critical question. What is my real intention? Since reading that passage in The Seed of the Soul, I have seen time and time again how knowing the answer to that question can be your guiding force. The reverse is also true. When you do not examine your intention, you often end up with consequences that block your progress. Over the years, I've witnessed far too many couples who stayed married when they shouldn't have, simply because their intention was just that, to be married rather than to be fulfilled. And in the end, each of those couples had a relationship in which there was no regard for intimacy, growth, or building a strong life. If you are feeling stuck in your life and you want to move forward, start by examining your past motivations, or intentions. Look closely. I've learned that my truest intentions are often hiding in the shadows. Ask yourself, how have my intentions produced the experiences I'm having now? And if I change my intentions, what different consequences will I create? As you make choices that honor who you are, you will get exactly what life intended for you, the chance to reach your greatest potential. I have always had a great relationship with money, even when I barely had any to relate to. I never feared not having it and never obsessed about what I had. Like most people, I can remember Every salary I ever made, I suppose we remember because a salary helps define the value of our service and, unfortunately for some people, the value they place on themselves. I first realized I was not my salary when I was 15 and making 50 cents an hour babysitting Ms. Ashbury's rowdy kids and cleaning up after she pulled nearly every outfit from her closet every time she got dressed. Her bedroom always looked like the the end-of-the-day last-call sale at Macy's with shoes and brightly colored necklaces and dresses everywhere. Just before flitting out the door without leaving any info as to where she was going or how she could be reached, she'd say, Oh, by the way, dear, would you mind tidying things up a bit? Well, 
Yes, of course, I did mine. And the first time I tidied up, I did such a great job, I thought surely she'd pay me extra when she saw how I cleaned not only her room, but the kids' rooms, too. She never did. So I moved on and found a job that would pay me more, a job where I thought my efforts would be appreciated. There was a five and dime not far from my father's store, and I got hired there for $1.50 an hour. My job was to keep things straight, stock shelves, full socks. I wasn't allowed to work the cash register or speak to customers. I hated it. Two hours in, I found myself counting the minutes to lunch, then counting the minutes to quitting time. Even at 15, I knew in my soul this was no way to live or make money. I was bored beyond anything I've ever felt before or since. So after three days, I quit and went to work in my father's store for no salary. I didn't like working there either, but at least I could talk to people and not feel like my spirit was being drained by the hour. Still, I knew that no matter how much my father wanted it to be, that store would not be a part of my future life. By the time I was 17, I was working in radio, making $100 a week, and that's when I made my peace with money. I decided that no matter what job I ever did, I wanted that same feeling I got when I first started in radio. The feeling of, I love this so much, even if you didn't pay me, I'd show up every day, on time, and happy to be here. I recognized then, at 17, what I now know for sure. If you can get paid for doing what you love, every paycheck is a bonus. Give yourself the bonus of a lifetime. Pursue your passion. Discover what you love. Then do it. I have never been a whitewater rafting, bungee jumping kind of girl. That is not how I define adventure. What I know for sure is this. The most important adventure of our lives doesn't have to involve climbing the highest peak or trekking around the world. The biggest thrill you can ever achieve is to live the life of your dreams. Maybe you're like so many women I've talked to over the years who've suspended their deepest desires in order to accommodate everything and everyone else. You ignore the nudge, that whisper, that often comes in the form of emptiness or restlessness to finally get on with what you know you should be doing. I understand how easy it is to rationalize. Your mate and your children need you. The job that you admit makes you miserable demands so much of your time. But what happens when you work hard at something that is unfulfilling? It drains your spirit. It robs you of your life force. You end up depleted, depressed, and angry. You don't have to waste another day on that road. You can begin again. Starting over begins with looking inward. It means ridding yourself of distractions and paying attention to that inkling you've been ignoring. I've learned that the more stressful and chaotic things are on the outside, the calmer you need to get on the inside. It's the only way you can connect with where your spirit is leading you. Many years ago, as a young television reporter at WJZ in Baltimore, I was given what was considered 
a plum assignment, I was sent to Los Angeles to interview a few television stars. At first, I was thrilled. Here was a chance to prove myself, a good interviewer, alone, without the help of my usual co-anchor, and to add some celebrity cachet to my career experience. But by the time I arrived in California, I felt like a small fish dropped into the Hollywood fishbowl. I started to doubt myself. Who was I to think I could just walk into their world and expect them to talk to me? Reporters from all over the country had been invited. There were throngs of us, local newscasters, entertainment, lifestyle reporters, each given five minutes to interview an actor from the TV season's upcoming lineup. I started to feel nervous, uncomfortable, inept, not good enough to be there with all those other reporters from much bigger cities with more experience than I. To make matters worse, a representative for Priscilla Presley, who was there for a new show she was hosting, told me, as I was 11th in line to talk to her, You can ask her anything, but whatever you do, don't mention Elvis. She'll walk out on you. So now I wasn't just intimidated by this new world of stars and their handlers. I was feeling completely inhibited. I'd been a TV reporter since I was 19. I'd interviewed hundreds of people in difficult situations and prided myself on being able to break the ice and establish rapport. But I wasn't accustomed to real stars. I thought they had some mystique that being famous made them not only different, but also better than us regular folk. And I was having difficulty figuring out how I'd pull that off in a five-minute time frame with the most real questions being off limits. For some reason, you might call it a coincidence, I call it grace in action, I was switched from the Priscilla Presley line to interview a young comedian who was starting a new show called Mork and Mindy. What followed were five of the most exhilarating while off-the-charts minutes I'd ever spent in an interview with the most uninhibited, out-of-the-box, free-falling-in-every-second celebrity human I'd ever met. I don't remember a word I said, but I know I hardly said any. He was a geyser of energy. I remember thinking, whoever this guy is, he's going to be big. He wasn't afraid to be his many-selves. I had great fun playing with Robin Williams for the first time, and I learned in that instant to go where the interview takes you. He was all over the place, and I just had to flow with it. So when my turn came to talk to Miss Priscilla Presley, I for sure had received the lesson, you can't accomplish anything worthwhile if you inhibit yourself. I asked about Elvis. She didn't walk out. In fact, she obliged me with an answer. If life teaches you nothing else, know this. When you get the chance, go for it. My biggest mistakes in life have all stemmed from giving my power to someone else, believing that the love others had to offer was more important than the love I had to give to myself. I remember being 29 and in a relationship based on lies and deceit, down on my knees, crying after Mr. Man, who we shall not name here, once again had brought me low. I'd been waiting for him all evening. He stood me up, and it wasn't the first time. He arrived hours after our date was supposed to start. And I dared to ask why. 
I remember him standing in the doorway and hurling these words at me. The problem with you, baby doll, is that you think you're special. At which point, he turned on his heels and slammed the door in my face. I'd grown up watching my cousin Alice be physically abused by her boyfriend, and I'd vowed I would never take such treatment. But sitting there on the bathroom floor, after Mr. Mann walked out, I saw with great clarity the only difference between Alice and me was that I hadn't been hit. Mr. Mann was wrong. I did not think I was special, and that was the problem. Why was I allowing myself to be treated this way? Even with these insights, it took me another year to end the relationship. I kept hoping and praying that things would get better, that he would change. He never did. I started praying for the strength to just end it. I'd pray and wait to feel better and wait and wait, all the while repeating my same old patterns. Until one day, I got it. While I was waiting on God, God was waiting on me. He was waiting on me to make a decision to either pursue the life that was meant for me or to be stifled by the one I was living. I recognized the truth that I'm all right, just as I am. I am enough, all by myself. That revelation brought its own miracle. Around that time, the call came for me to audition for a talk show in Chicago. If I had stayed entangled in that relationship, my life as I know it would never have happened. What is the truth of your life? It is your duty to know. In order to find out, know that the truth is that which feels right and good and loving. Love doesn't hurt, I've learned in the years since I was 29. It feels really good. It's that which allows you to live every day with integrity. Everything you do and say shows the world who you are. Let it be the truth. I'll never forget the moment when I decided to always choose myself. I recall what I was wearing, a blue turtleneck and black slacks, where I was sitting, in my boss's office, what the chair looked and felt like, brown paisley, too deep and overstuffed, when my boss, the general manager at the Baltimore TV station where I work, said, there is no way you can make it in Chicago. You are walking into a landmine, and you can't even see it. You're committing career suicide. He used every tactic he could muster to entice me to stay. More money, a company car, a new apartment, and finally, intimidation. You are going to fail, he said. I didn't know if he was right. I didn't have the confidence to believe I could succeed, but somehow I gathered the nerve to say to him before standing up and walking out, You are right. I may not make it. And I may be walking into landmines. But if they don't kill me, at least I'll keep growing. In that moment... I chose happiness, the lasting happiness that abides with me every day because I decided not to be afraid and to move forward. Staying in Baltimore would have been the safe thing to do, 
But sitting in my boss's office, I knew that if I let him talk me into staying, it would affect the way I felt about myself forever. I would always wonder what could have been. That one choice changed the trajectory of my life. I live in a state of exhilarated contentment. That's my definition of happiness. Fueled by a passion for everything I'm committed to. My work, my colleagues, my home, my gratitude for every breath taken in freedom and peace. And what makes it sweeter is knowing for sure that I created this happiness. It was my choice. Time is fleeting. Those of you with children are ever cognizant of this fact because your children keep growing out of and into themselves. The goal for all of us is to keep growing out of ourselves too, evolving to our best possible lives. Somewhere deep within me, even when I was a teenager, I always sensed that something bigger was in store for me. But it was never about attaining wealth or celebrity. It was about the process of continually seeking to be better, to challenge myself, to pursue excellence on every level. What I know for sure, only when you make that process your goal can your dream life follow. That doesn't mean your process will lead you to wealth or fame. In fact, your dream may have nothing to do with tangible prosperity and everything to do with creating a life filled with joy, one with no regrets and a clear conscience. I've learned that, yes, wealth is a tool that gives you choices, but it cannot compensate for a life not fully lived, and it certainly cannot create a sense of peace within you. The whole point of being alive is to become the person you were intended to be, to grow out of and into yourself again and again. I believe you can do this only when you stop long enough to hear the whisper you might have drowned out, that small voice compelling you toward your calling. And what happens then? You face the biggest challenge of all, to have the courage to seek your dream regardless of what anyone else says or thinks. You are the only person alive who can see your big picture, and even you can't see it all. The truth is that as much as you plan and dream and move forward in your life, you must remember that you are always acting in conjunction with the flow and energy of the greater universe. Move in the direction of your goal with all the force and verve you can muster, and then let go, releasing your plan to the power, capital P, that's bigger than yourself, and allowing your dream to manifest as its own masterpiece. Dream big, really big. Work hard, really hard. And after you've done all you can, fully surrender to the power, capital P. I no longer make a list of New Year's resolutions. I do, however, give considerable thought every January as to how I can continue to move forward. One New Year's morning, I was sitting on my front porch in Hawaii, overlooking the ocean, 
meditating, I prayed to be more resolved about being fully conscious, allowing every experience to bring me closer to the deepest essence of life. By nightfall, my prayer had been answered in the most profound spiritual encounter I've ever had. My friend Bob Green and I were taking a hike that afternoon. The sun had set, leaving wisps of lavender ribbons across the sky. Clouds moving down from the mountain spread out over the ocean with only a small opening through which we could see the moon. All around us was this cloud mist and just one clear space of sky glowing with the light of a crescent moon. Look at that, Bob said. It looks like the DreamWorks logo. I feel like climbing up and sitting there with a fishing pole. It was surreal. As we continued our walk, Bob turned to me and said, Stop a minute. I stopped. Can you hear that? He whispered. I could, and it took my breath away. It was the sound of silence, utter and complete stillness. So still, I could hear my own heart beating. I wanted to hold my breath because even inhaling and exhaling was a cacophony. There was absolutely no movement. No breeze, no recognition of air even. It was the sound of nothing and everything. It felt like all life and death and beyond contained in one space, and I was not just standing in it, I was also part of it. This was the most peaceful, coherent, knowledgeable moment I've ever experienced. Heaven on earth. We stood there for the longest time, trying not to breathe, in awe. I realized this was exactly what I had asked for earlier in the day. This is the meaning of ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. That moment was indeed the deepest essence of life. And what I know for sure, that moment is always available to us. If you peel back the layers of your life, the frenzy, the noise, stillness is waiting. That stillness is you. This is what I call a glory, glory, hallelujah moment. I wanted to hold on to it forever. And I have. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of a meeting with people lined up outside my door, and I'll just inhale and take myself back to the road, the clouds, the moon, stillness, peace. I'm often confronted by things about which I have no certainty at all, but I for sure believe in miracles. For me, a miracle is seeing the world with light in your eyes. It's knowing there's always hope and possibility where none seems to exist. 
Many people are so close to miracles that even when one is boldly staring them in the face, they label it coincidence. I call it like I see it. To me, miracles are confirmation that something larger than us is at work. I believe they happen not just sometimes, but every single day if we're open to seeing them. In my own life, miracles often involve the simplest things like being able to run five miles in less than 50 minutes or being exhausted after a long run and craving a bowl of red pepper and tomato soup, then walking into the kitchen and find that my godmother, Mrs. E, left some on the stove for me. A miracle is watching a sunset, the color of strained peaches, and seeing it turn to raspberries by the end of my evening walk. It's having pomegranate, kiwi, and mango on a pretty tray for breakfast. It's admiring the pink peonies I cut from my own garden and placed in my bedroom. It's when a green minivan pauses on the road and a young woman leans out the window to yell, You're the best teacher on TV! And she herself is a kindergarten teacher. It's the sound of the birds and their individual songs and the moment when I wonder, Are they singing to each other, to themselves, or just to be heard? A miracle is the chance to roll in the grass with all of my dogs and enjoy a full Sunday stretch before me with no obligations, no plans, no place to be. It's the chance to come back to myself after a week of going and going and going and have time to finally just be alone. To meditate on a log cabin porch, leaves rustling like water, newborn geese in the pond with their mother teaching them to swim. To feel the joy of this glorious life and have the chance to live it as a free woman. If I know nothing else for sure, I know that the big miracles we're waiting on are happening right in front of us at every moment, with every breath, Open your eyes and heart, and you'll see them. Getting older is the best thing that ever happened to me. I wake into a morning prayer of thanks posted on my bathroom wall from Marianne Williamson's book, Illuminata. Whatever age I'm at, I think about all the people who never made it that far. I think about the people who were called before they realized the beauty and majesty of life on earth. I know for sure that every day holds within it the possibility of seeing the world with wonder. The older I get, the less tolerance I have for pettiness and superficial pursuits. There's a wealth that has nothing to do with dollars that comes from the perspective and wisdom of paying attention to your life. It has everything to teach you. And what I know for sure is that the joy of learning well is the greatest reward. I know for sure there is no real meaning to life without a spiritual component. Spirit, to me, is the essence of who we are. It doesn't require any particular belief. It just is. And the key to this essence is simply being aware of the present moment. It is transformative. It redefines what it means to be alive. Spirituality can be something as ordinary and extraordinary as giving your full force 100% attention to another person without thinking about what else you need to be doing right then. Or 
making an effort to do something good for someone, or starting your day with a full moment of silence, or waking up to literally smell the coffee, tasting its aroma through your senses, making every sip sheer pleasure, and when it's no longer sheer pleasure, putting it aside. What I know for sure, the light in your life comes in one conscious breath at a time. Breathe easy. My entire life is a miracle, and so is yours. That I know for sure. No matter how you came to be, whether you were wanted or an accident, as I was labeled for so many years, your being here to hear these words is awesome. I say this not knowing the details of your life, of course. What I do know is that every person carries her own story of hope and sorrow, victory and loss, redemption, joy, and light. Everyone has had her share of life lessons. How well you learn from them is up to you. When you choose to see the world as a classroom, you understand that all experiences are here to teach you something about yourself and that your life's journey is about becoming more of who you are. Another miracle we all get to share in the journey. The hardest experiences are often the ones that teach us the most. Whenever trouble comes my way, I try to ask myself, what is this really about and what am I supposed to learn from it? Only when I perceive what the real lesson is can I make the best decision and grow from the experience? After everything that's happened to me in all my years on this earth, what I'm most proud of is that I remain open to evolving. I know that every physical encounter has a metaphysical meaning, and I'm open to seeing it all. I was lucky enough to spend some time in Fiji several years ago, and while I was there, I loved watching the waves break gently on shore. I think of each ripple as each of us in the sea that is life. We believe we're all so different, but we're not. We cover ourselves in customs and costumes of aspiration and struggle and victory and sacrifice and loss, and soon we forget who we really are. One morning as I sat watching the waves, I emailed my poet friend, Mark Nepo, whose Book of Awakening is a year's worth of daily lessons for living a more intentional life. Mark's email response was this. You ask about poetry. You ask from an island so far away it remains unspoiled to walk quietly till the miracle in everything speaks is poetry. You want to look for poetry in your soul and in everyday life as you search for stones on the beach 4,000 miles away as the sun ices the snow here I smile for in this moment you are the poem after years of looking I can only say that searching for small things worn by the deep is the art of poetry but listening to what they say is the poem well, I never thought of poetry that way before, but sitting on the edge of an island, I could feel that what Mark said in the rest of his email was also true. 
he wrote this, For me, poetry is the unexpected utterance of the soul. It is where the soul touches the everyday. It is less about words and more about awakening the sense of aliveness we carry within us from birth. To walk quietly till the miracle in everything speaks is poetry, whether we write it down or not. I confess, I started out wanting to write great poems, only to be worn by life to wanting to discover true poems. And now, in the second half of life, I feel humbled and excited to want to be the poem. Well, that for sure is an inspiration worth holding. To not just appreciate the poetry, but to be the poem. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.